the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Hello again, this is Tim Linville, your host. And today with me, I have several people from Shook Construction, which is a longtime member of CEA. I have Bill Wessler, the CEO. I have Matt Bennett, Vice President, and Randy Beck, Project Manager. Uh, I also have Adrian. What's your last name, Adrian? Daniels, who doesn't have a mic, so she'll have to get Randy's mic to, to talk, but uh, we'll try to coax her out. Thank you all for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yep. You're welcome. And this, uh, you're all in town. Bill, your office is in Dayton, Dayton, Dayton Ohio. Right. Why are you in town? For this. Coming up here to talk to you. Just the, for just for yeah. this? Yeah. Not really, actually. Nothing else going on? We're going to leave you, and we're going to share it with all the folks that work out of our Brexville office as well, so... Tag teaming it. And you have an office reopening mm-hmm. in Brexville. Yeah, it's beautiful. Gorgeous. Reopening again. We opened, see, we just opened it a year ago. A year and a half. A year and, a half and we ago. doubled the yep. size of it in the last three or four months. So doing it again. And something must be going right. I know. I don't know. We've got to figure out what that is. Maybe that's why I'm really here. <laughs> How many people in that office? Oh, Matt, what do you? Oh, gosh. I think we have 40 seats in there, 40 people for seats, but... We have a lot of people working on a job site, so sure. people come in and, you know, throw down some things for, for a day. Uh, we just want to make sure we had space for everyone. Right. Everybody's more productive if they're out there working. Right on. When the office is empty, that means business is good. Right, right. And then how many people in your other offices, where are your other offices, by the way? Um, Dayton, we probably have, what do you think, Adrian, 60, 50, 60 there. Indianapolis, we probably have 20 people in Indy and probably have about 20 in Raleigh, North Carolina. Okay. Yep. Altogether, 150 or so? Yeah, 150, 200 office salaried folks and then about two or 250 in the field. Great. Yeah. It's a good sized company. Yeah. All, um, um, Ohio founded? Yeah, 1926. In Dayton, Ohio, founded by a guy by the name of Charles H. Shook, who uh, kind of set the tone for our DNA and, and died at lunch. He'd worked there like 50 years. Oh, man. I finally went to the bicycle club for lunch, and he keeled over. And And there were four employees, uh, key employees at the time, who came to his wife and said, we're interested in buying the company from your estate. And he had no succession plan put together right and his son was an attorney had no interest in doing this construction gig and um the way the story goes is these four key employees came to the estate the family with an offer and um the banker at the time immediately said we, we think that's a crappy offer yeah that's, <laughs> that's not enough money and uh, charles h shook's son looked at him and said i think this is a fair offer these are honorable men. Uh, they served my father f- wonderfully, and we're going to sell the company. Mm-hmm. And so that was in 1964, and it has remained privately held, non-family owned ever since. Wow. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Employee owned now? Yeah, yeah. It's not an ESOP, right. but all the owners of the company are employees of the company. And that's the way the buy-sell is set up. So is that like an LLC, or how is it? What's the formal... We're an S-Corp. S-Corp. Yeah, okay. we're an S-Corp. Yep. Got it. And what kind of work do you guys do? How well, we are in three different business sectors. We're in water, wastewater, just kind of what the company was founded on. Um, now we've gotten into schools, 
and uh, healthcare. Um, we did have mission critical for a while, doing data centers, that sort of thing, and with the invention of new technology in the cloud, yeah. it's been a little bit uh, hard selling that business. Imagine it's always changing. Always. Anyway, in different markets, different geographic markets, we do a fair amount of industrial work, too. So it just depends on which office we're working out of. Like in Indianapolis right now, we're doing tons of industrial work. So that would be the fourth. But it's mm-hmm. that that isn't in play here in Cleveland as much as it is Indianapolis. Right. So you work in Indiana, too. Yep. And Raleigh, you said? Yeah, Raleigh, North Carolina. We have some work in Virginia. work out of that Raleigh office right now. Work over in Asheville, North Carolina. We wanted to get closer to the brew pubs, and uh, then and then job right in Raleigh. So we have three treatment, and the, those are all water and wastewater treatment plants right now. Yeah, and Randy, you have a big job going out in Toledo, right? I do actually three jobs currently. <laughs> three of them. Uh, yeah, out on the Toledo, the Collins Park water treatment plant. Great. Everybody, remember to get close to your mics. But uh, so. You're here to open this office, and Chris Hallopy, who's on the board of CEA, right. um, emailed me and said, hey, are you coming or not? And I said, yeah, I'm coming. <laughs> he said, well, um, Bill and Matt and, and Randy are going to be in town. It would be a great podcast episode because of this trip that they took that served the people of Bolivia last year. And I already knew about the trip from talking to Chris and talking to Randy um, at meetings here at CEA, but I thought, great idea. Yep. That's exactly the kind of thing we want to talk about. So... How did that, what did you do, and how did you get there? Well, I'll kick it off. Um, you know, I, I came into this role about six or seven years ago. And, you know, when you're getting ready to start a re- new role, it's like, now what am I going to do to make a difference? And the one thing that I wanted to do was connect our people with the fact that what they do serves a higher purpose. That was important to me. Because a lot of folks say, you know, what do you do for them? I'm in construction. Well, what do you really do? Well, I build treatment plants, right? And that's all fine and good and noble and great. Uh, But I think when you figure out that truly what you do is you make clean water for everyone on our planet, Mm -hmm. uh, when you figure that out and you really start believing in that, it really puts some pep in your step. So we've been intentional about driving that message home. And then I thought to myself, if you can tag team that with providing our folks with a worldview which a lot of us in the Midwest just don't have. We don't live on a coast and we don't travel internationally a lot. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? So trying to merge those two thoughts together. And then I immediately thought about Randy Beck, who has more passport stamps than anybody in the company. Is that right? Oh, yeah. And and, and, and per per age, I mean, it's probably exponentially uh, greater, right? So... Randy's not an old guy, but he's world traveled. And I, I thought, well, let's, let's talk, let's talk a little bit Been about sandbagging that. on us. Yeah, he is. Mm-hmm. So, um, so anyway, I started talking to Randy about the, this whole vision and this idea and that's when it really started to get legs. Yeah. So I, th- I think Bill knew I traveled a lot, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure he knew why or that I had done mission trips in the past as well. Oh, so when he kind of brought it up to me, I said, this is, this is what I've been looking for. And this is actually why I travel. Um, even if I'm not doing a mission trip, I travel to get that worldview and to see, you know, how other cultures hmm. exist and how we can learn from that. Um, so then, you know, once he kind of opened the door, um, added in another guy, Dan Walking, mm-hmm. um, out of the Dayton office, who has very similar views um, mm-hmm. as well. Um, I'd say probably a year. Right. We just 
kind of looked around, you mm-hmm. know, who, who does this work? Who doesn't? Is there any construction companies? Are there any for-profit companies that do anything like this that have done anything like this? Um, and there's not a lot, right? There's really not. So we kind of decided to go on our own and figure out what we wanted ours to be rather than what have other people done right. and, and mimic theirs. So when did you first come up with the idea? Well, I mean, the vision was probably five or six years ago. And then mm-hmm. I didn't want to tell anybody when I first started because I thought I'd get thrown off the boat right away. So I kind of let it ride for a couple of years. So probably four years ago, I started talking to Randy a little bit about it. And then maybe three years ago, we we're like, okay, let's let's quit talking about it. Let's mm-hmm. start doing it. And so it's probably, I'd say, mm-hmm. about a, been a three-year process to get us from that point to where we're sitting here today. Right. And I saw there's a, there's a nice YouTube video, which we, we will link to this episode um, on all the channels. But you guys put together a nice video. And the first shot is your company motto, right? What does this, yeah. What's that say? Um, dramatically improving the communities we serve, mm-hmm. right? So um, we did a mission, vision, values uh, set down about three years ago. And, he, you know, I've done probably seven of those over the course of my career. And a lot of them are kind of checking the box. This one was a good one. I mean, we had the right people in the room. We had the right, the right facilitator. And um, we did trying to distill it down to what are we really doing? Again, serving a, a higher purpose. And when you, we do that within our communities, we are truly dramatically improving uh, those communities. Mm-hmm. So once we, again, uh, started thinking about that, we said, well, let's really start living it beyond building that hospital, right? In Akron and truly improving the community that way. Um, how else can we do it? Well, we're improving the water system and thus the community in Toledo we just talked about and so on and so forth. But what is our community, right? And how do you start defining community? Is it just Northeastern Ohio? Is it just Raleigh, North Carolina? No, no. Is it just the United States? Well, why should we limit to the <laughs> It's our world, really. I'm a mm-hmm. community. If you think about it, our world is a community. And if we start thinking about it in that way, now, you know, now you have unlimited potential. And when you have a, a, a company filled with talent and you let them realize that they have unlimited potential, you know, now you can catch fire. Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. So three years ago, you gave, you gave who, who the green light, Randy? Randy and Dan Wolking. Dan Wolking. Because at that point, you know, the guy with the idea is all out of gas. He's tired, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just, I'm smart enough to step aside and turn it over to people smarter than me and let them roll with it. But, yeah. but even with the green light, it was still known that we we're going to have to sell other people in the company to right. make it happen. Right. Good, good point. Good point. Because we had several go no goes okay. from that point forward. There was always the possibility we throw a flag and say, nah, this isn't going to make any sense. We're, we're pulling the plug on it. And that, that was all the way up to, you know, buy the tickets to go, Absolutely. right? <laughs> well, yeah, what is it? November 14th, within the last week, we were just talking before we started recording, the president of Bolivia took a plane to Mexico and right. got off and said, hey, right. protect me. Mm-hmm. Right. And when these guys got off the plane um, in La Paz, there were protesters in the street. And we were monitoring that through the State Department's website and, you know, it was mild alert, nothing to be concerned about. We had boots on the ground there. We were talking to them about it. So we had validation that our people were going to be safe. Mm-hmm. But if you would have fast-forwarded this deal and we would have been here talking about it, it would have been a no-go. We would yeah. just said, shut, shut it down. We'll take a look at it next year. Yeah. So how did you get that company buy-in? 
Well, that's a fair question. That is a fair Ra- question. Randy, get, get, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts as well as Matt, because Matt was on the receiving end of this, right? Well, right. honestly, I think it helped having myself and Dan walking in different offices because mm-hmm. we could kind of visualize it and socialize it throughout each office mm-hmm. and try to try to get some buy-in. And you're in Brex, you were in Brexville, and correct. He was and in Dayton. Dan's in Dayton, right? Um. So we also found other people uh, like John Hill, one of the members who went, who who do this. You know, mm-hmm. he go he takes his vacation time and does these on his own. And we started to realize there's a lot more people in this in the company who do it. Um, and not only that, it's it's what you can get out of it personally, which is understanding why water's important, why healthcare is important, um, and not just I'm going to go build a structure and move on. So once we kind of started to feel that people were kind of grabbing onto it. It, it really wasn't a large worry anymore. Right, right. And then we got started thinking about, well, what if we have more people apply for this than we have spots, right. you know? So then we had to go down that rabbit hole saying, well, now how are we going to do that? Yeah. So we actually put together an application process yeah. to, so, to vet out folks to see, you know, who wants to just go to go get out of a week of work and who really wants to go mm-hmm. for the right reason. And yeah. that, that was the best part for me, because we had talked to, like I said, other people who've done this, other companies who tried it. And it was always, you know, we think we have 20 people who want to go. And then we sent out the application and there's 10. And then by the end, there's only three who are actually committed and, and going to, you know, buy a ticket. Right. Um, how, how many people did we have? We had, we had 20, but they were 20. We are going to go. Yeah. Locked mm-hmm. and loaded. If you, if you choose yeah. me, I will be on that plane. Right. Mm-hmm. And there was eight of us that went. Correct. And what was the commitment on the individual's part to do that? Just the time. Their time? The time. And Vacation we talked time or paid time? Paid time. Paid paid time. And we talked a lot about that. We, oh, lot. man, do, we, do they need to have skin in the game? Is that important? John Hill, we asked him about his private, you know, previous experience with other, you know, we talked to other people that have done it with companies. And, and a lot of people had asked their people to have more skin in the game than we ultimately did. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we got to back to one of our values. One of our values is balance, right? We're all busy. We have families. We have tough jobs. And there's not enough time in the day. Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to debit these people <laughs> one of their vacation weeks to go do this because it's, it's, it's a week away from their family. Right. It's a big com- – to me, that was commitment enough. And, and watching that video, it doesn't look like much of a vacation. Oh, my God. It was, <laughs> not. It was hard work every yeah. single day. How much, weight, how much weight did you lose, man? I lost about five pounds, but it didn't take very long to get that back. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually hard to lose weight traveling, so that's yeah, impressive. Yeah. We did eat well, that's for sure. So yeah. we actually did a scout trip a couple um, weeks, maybe month, month it was before, a month before. Yeah, a month and a half before. Um, mm-hmm. So we sent two people down to kind of survey the area, get get their bearings, make sure the, the town was ready for us. And their number one report when they came back is get on a treadmill and put the stair climber up because you're going to need All it. the way up. Mm-hmm. Because of the uh, elevation? Yes. yes. It yeah. was, the terrain was pretty much awful. It, it, it was real rocky. Um, every step was, we we're fighting the altitude. And it was, you know, we put, we put the system in on a mountainside. So it, um, there were, we ran some pipe down cliff faces and, 
um, yeah, it was it was grueling. What was the elevation, yeah. Matt? Well, La Paz itself, when we flew in, is about fourteen thousand feet, mm-hmm. and the uh, village that we did the work in um, is po- approximately ten, right around ten thousand feet. So this and the village is called Tasimi Tamusi Tamusi Tamusi. I've got it pulled up on the uh, TV here in the studio. And if you look at it, the 3D image on Google Earth, it's pretty impressive. It's just on the side of a mountain, basically, right? Right. So you were based, and your project was to run fresh water from from where to the village. There was a original um, water system that was installed in the village, and it's spring fed. Mm-hmm. So uh, there was a, approximately six thousand feet of of pipe. It was PVC, um, partially buried. There was a lot of places where it was just laying on the ground. Um, a lot of it was compromised uh, uh, under tremendous pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, it was put together with duct tape in some areas. And uh, almost daily when they, we were there, there was somebody trying to fix the line because if that part of the line was broken, the whole bottom of the village wouldn't have any water. Right. So, you know, you would see some grumpy person come up and get themselves a little shower trying to put the pipe back together. Yeah. It was just part of the daily job that happened there. Um, so our job was to reconnect to the original water source um, that was way up up in the hills. Mm-hmm. And uh, we ran all new piping down into the village and to, uh, I believe it was 46 service connections. And there wasn't one line that went into a structure it was, you know, most of the water went to a pedestal that was outside somebody's home yeah. uh, that just had a faucet on it. Sure. And did you know that was going to be your project when you sent your scouts a month ahead? Yes. Yes, How did, did you get the project? How did you find a village that needed help? How did you do all that? Go ahead, Randy. Yeah, we knew that would be a, a struggle. Um, when I did some of these in college, some of my um, associates back then would drive around places like this and find a town that needed help and we decided that's that's not right for us for what we're trying to get out of this so we partnered with um, an organization called engineers in action who we met through um, our contacts at the university of dayton Mm -hmm. Uh, they do this type of thing all the time so as part of their ethos program at the university of dayton they had already been to the town they had already um, figured out what the town needs and designed the project so we kind of came on board to put the system in because more construction, and that's what we do. The interesting part is out of the eight we sent, I would say only two at most had actual construction experience. Really? You know, so we wanted to be very diverse in our company, so we sent accountants and, you know, vice presidents and foremen and just a, a Pre-construction big, people. Yeah, yeah, a big group. Um, Was I included in that... Uh, not knowing anything about construction. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you don't know construction. <laughs> Two and a half. Um, <laughs> but the cool thing is. I got here somehow. You know, our scouts <laughs> went down and told them, we think we can get this whole job done in the time we're there. And engineers in action said, no way. You know, that's awesome you think that, but yeah. nobody ever finishes a right. project. They actually didn't think we physically were going to do the work. We thought we, they thought that we were going to supervise folks in the village that were going to actually put the pipe together. Do, does Engineers in Action have boots on the ground in Bolivia? Yes. Yes. 
Yep. What kind of operation do they have? I don't know if I know that. You went to their offices. Did you see yeah, the number? There, there was about three individuals in that office. It was it was kind of a bizarre place. Um, so couldn't really tell exactly what it was that, mm-hmm. that they do, but um, they did have several other people that were doing similar trips to the one that we did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they would, you know, they had vehicles and they would send them out. Um, in fact, the, the, there was two gentlemen that actually took us to, um, to Moosey, which was about a five and a half hour drive from the business capital, which is La Paz. Mm-hmm. And he stayed there for about two days and then left because he had another project to go to. Um, which was a good thing that he left because when he, the, another guy brought the vehicle back, we gave him a laundry list of materials that we needed. Um, so he know, went to the city and got them five and a half hours later. Yeah. Um, picked everything up that we needed because we ran out of materials in a hurry. That's cool. And if anybody wants to look this up, engineersinaction.org is the website. We'll link that to the show notes as well, but it looks like a great organization. Lots of, uh, universities, do projects with them and I don't see many companies. So maybe you guys were one of the first companies to, to do a project with them. I'm looking at their completed project list. It's pretty De- cool. Definitely one of the first, I believe they had one more who we got to talk to a few times beforehand. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but the big difference there is a lot of companies that we talked to who had done things like this separated it. They made sure it was on, you know, the employee's time. They worked on oh, it at lunch yeah. after work and ours was definitely, this is Shook going to do this, not the individuals. Right. Did you fly out of Dayton or Cleveland? Both. Both. Yeah. So some from Dayton, some from Cleveland. Yeah, there were uh, four of us from Cleveland and then uh, four from, from Dayton. Actually, one of our folks, um, actually, that's not true. They flew out of uh, Columbus. Columbus. Yeah. Um, so they drove from Dayton over. We had one individual that lives in uh, Mansfield, so he drove down to Columbus. Um, we all met up in uh, Fort Lauderdale. Mm-hmm. Flew from Fort Lauderdale to Bogota, Colombia, and then from uh, Bogota to uh, La Paz. How long of a flight was that altogether? It was about a 17-hour trip Jeez. to get there. Um, coming home was quite a bit different, though. <laughs> it was twenty about 24 hours. Why was that? Well, it was a lot about timing. Um, we, we flew out of uh, La Paz, Bolivia at about 2.30 in the morning. So we had overnight flight and most of us don't sleep on airplanes. So it was an all nighter actually being up at six o'clock in the morning because we were still working that morning. Oh man. So, um, we ended up in Fort Lauderdale about nine o'clock in the morning and we all had about a seven 30 flight out. So we spent an entire day in Fort Lauderdale. (laughs) Um, yeah, the bar tab was decompressing uh, (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, the bar tab hit it pretty good, but um, that included some meals and, and stuff. But we did we did celebrate, but we were all very much exhausted. Oh, I bet. But at the yeah. same time, I from the stories I heard, I think that was a good time for the team to to just be together, you know, back in a comfort comfortable area, but right. but talk about the job and their experience. Well, we're sitting mm-hmm. at the airport in Lauderdale, and we're all thinking we should be on a beach somewhere in Lauderdale. <laughs> yeah, but. Um, yeah, the, the hardest part was, you know, we ended up getting home two, three o'clock in the morning back in Cleveland and Dayton. Um, and it just so happens it was Mother's Day. So we all had to be on our game for Sunday <laughs> oh, when we man. got back. That, that was a requirement of the trip. That's Everybody right. had to be back for Mother's Day. Right. <laughs> yeah. You would have been in the doghouse. I might have been a, 
uh, trip counselor for the next one. Huh? That's right. That's right. But Matt made, almost didn't make it out of Bogota on his way down there. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> of course. You have to bring this kind of stuff up. <laughs> um, I was so overpacked with everything I had. Um, I had a, a small case that I had my passport and, and money in, mm-hmm. and somehow it fell out of my bag on the airplane uh, from oh, uh, no. Bogota, or from uh, Lauderdale to Bogota. And luckily I got stopped uh, going through customs, and it was internal customs, so they were just looking for stuff in your bags. Yeah. And uh, they had my bags like completely emptied out on the conveyor belt, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, I don't see my passport anywhere. <laughs> and sure enough, I, you know, I'm starting to panic, and they're looking for some kind of camping spikes or something in my bag, and which I didn't have. Yeah. Um, so they finally let me go, and sure enough, I didn't have my passport. So we ended up finding a flight attendant that um, was amazing, took it, took it on herself to um, walk back. We were probably quarter mile away from where we, the plane was. Mm-hmm. And she had gotten back and found my bag and brought it to me and just. No actually, harm done, huh? I, I had to sign a cocktail napkin that said that I had received my bag back. <laughs> and she wouldn't, she wouldn't take any money. Where's that napkin today? <laughs> yeah, what do you think they did with that napkin? <laughs> <laughs> but that saved my trip. But uh, yeah, a lot of the. Our, my friends here were telling me they, this could be the end of your journey. Yeah, geez. If that's and the worst thing that happened. That's right. How far is La, uh, where you flew into La Paz to, to, to Musi? Five and a half hours. It and doesn't look that long on the map, but it looks pretty mountainous. Well, it, um, there's about two, we traveled about two and a half or two hours on paved roads, mm-hmm. and then it turned into gravel. Mm-hmm. Um, and once we got off the gravel road or off the paved roads, we started, you know, getting into altitude again. And, you know, if, if you ever go look at the death roads of Bolivia on, <laughs> uh, on YouTube, yeah. it's about what we were doing. It's, we got into elevation, it's single lane road, um, you know, 1500 foot drop offs and the entire time, you know, going around these blind curves, horns honking because you got people coming the other direction and that's where the accidents happen and unfortunately driving out there we you know going around turns you see just grave crosses at a lot of the um blind turns that cars just went off or buses or what have you mm-hmm. so it's um yeah it's very dangerous terrain there no guardrails just when we were scheduling the the project and when we were going to be at tamuzi and not we went to Google Maps and said, how long is Tamuzi from La Paz? And it came up two hours. And we're like, all right. <laughs> By the crow is, flies, right? It's not too yeah. far. And uh, we talked to our contact in, in country, Carlos, and he said, no, six is right. It's, it's <laughs> going to take you six. <laughs> yeah. So 70 hours plus six hours after that? No. Or was it, it 12 plus five and a half or something? Was 17 including the car, right? Oh, no, no, no. No, that was, we actually, when we, we landed in La Paz, mm-hmm. um, we stayed there for about a day and a half to acclimate. Oh yeah. Um, okay. and, and you definitely needed to do that. In fact, we had one of our members, um, she got off the plane and literally immediately had a splitting headache and felt nauseous and mm. she didn't really come around till maybe a day and a half later. She finally, you know, laid and, uh, slept for a day and a half. 
Yeah. But she acclimated, and we're a little bit worried she wasn't going to be able to make the trek out to the village. But um, she rallied, and she was great. She was one of our best helpers. One of the cool things is we used uh, WhatsApp to keep in contact with everybody. And it was it started really just so Bill and I could make sure everybody was okay and got there. And by the end, I would say there were 30 people on this, you know, sending, sending messages back and forth, including family members. Um, That's cool. But you expected everybody to get to La Paz and, you know, kind of relax, stay in the hotel for a while. And we were getting pictures at 6 a.m. because they were out on the streets. Oh, yeah. they, they wanted to see it and we see were what was going on. Yeah, the That's cool thing cool. about La Paz is that the traffic is just unbearable. Cars everywhere. So what they do there is the entire town, they have uh, like ski, um, ski gondolas. Lifts. <laughs> gondolas that, that take you all around the village or the, all around the city. It's... Yeah, it's a really cool way to see the city because you're seeing it from up above. Yeah. It's very cool. Who needs Uber? Yeah, right. <laughs> Uber wouldn't get you anywhere fast, that's for sure. <laughs> so, Randy, did, did you go on the trip? I did not. Um, a week before the trip, my wife and I uh, welcomed our, our first our first child. So, um, Lincoln was born about a week before. Um, so, I don't know, six months before, we kind of had the conversation. I was like, Bill... I'm not going on this trip. You know, yeah, I, I would love to, and you know, in the future for sure. But, sure. um, this one I definitely need to pass on. So, um, but I, it was just as enjoyable for me to see new people go. Yeah. Um, you know, some probably had never really been out of the country and definitely never to anything like this. Yeah. And Matt, you went, I did, but you didn't go bill, right? Correct. Okay. So the eight were yourself and who else? It was myself, um, John Hill, who's a senior project manager. Uh, John Kunkler, who's one of our superintendents out of Dayton. Um, Joe Weaver, another superintendent, uh, education. Um, Amy um, Kalich, who's in accounting. Uh, Caleb Arnold, who's a project superintendent, works for me in water. Uh, whom I, uh, Aaron, Aaron Crutcher. Um, Aaron is uh, estimated on in our uh, precon department. Kelsey. Oh, yeah, and Kelsey, okay. who's also a superintendent in uh um, she's in uh, healthcare. Healthcare, yeah, that's awesome. Everybody's gonna get a shout out on on LinkedIn when we're done with this. I like it. <laughs> um, so it looked like there was some planning involved between the time you got the project from Engineers in Action and went out there even to scout. You had blueprints, you had topographical maps. What was all involved? Yes, we we did have a blueprint that they kept very secretive. It was it was kind of funny. Um, we would be able to look at it in the morning and there was, uh, one, one of the engineers there kind of kept that in his case the entire time. And, um, the, the hard thing was we needed to know where the service connections were. And when we started our very first day, we literally attacked this mountain and, uh, we had gotten, uh, boy, I would say 15 to 1800 feet of pipe in the very first day, even down to where our first service connections were. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we're needing to know where they are because some of the lines, the villagers hadn't actually excavated the lines yet. Oh, so buried still? right. And so, you know, if the people that were excited about having water, they were, they were all, you know, pretty much excavated right there. So you could see a T, you know, where yeah. it was excavated out. So we all knew to put a T there. Um, but there was a lot of places that um, there's family. Am I ringing? Uh, me. 
I don't hear it. But. Um, so um, there was a lot of families that actually there was vacation homes there. Oh. So they didn't participate in the excavation portion of the, in front of their <coughs> property. So, um, echo tourists or something. Well, yeah. Or something like that. Yeah. It, it, it wouldn't be a place that I would want a vacation, but, um, uh, it, it could be desirable for somebody. Yeah. Um, but so we had to convince the property owners on each side or the ones that were downhill to say, you know what, if you don't help dig this trench, you're not going to get water anytime soon. So mm-hmm. next thing you know, we, you know, had uh, a lot of villagers helping out. Just um, with shovels? Picks and shovels. That's Jeez, it. That's hard work. Uh, it was very hard work. A, a big part of all these trips is community buy-in. Mm-hmm. If they don't want it, if they're not willing to take care of it and don't have a system to make sure people aren't hacking into it, it just doesn't work. So that's another reason we partnered with Engineers in Action because they, they had already vetted out the communities and were comfortable with it. Yeah. Um, but one of the... The deals was they would have the trench dug before we got there. And it wasn't quite. And we would lay the pipe, yeah. yeah. 60% of it was done. Oh, God. Yes. How long was it in total, the line? Uh, about 6,000 feet. Jeez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had to dig a, tre- a trench 24 inches deep from my backyard, 30 feet. And uh, it took me a whole day. We had a sunburn on the little oh, yeah. tramp stamp sunburn on my back, <laughs> little back. And exactly. I was sore as could be the next day. Yes, Exactly. Yeah, that's hard uh, work. In the ter- yeah, the, the terrain was it was it if you picture being in the desert, um it was real rocky, real sandy, um but it was hard. Mm-hmm. And um it it literally is a the it's desertous. It's um you wouldn't think that in Bolivia, but that's yeah. you know, you're up we're up 11, you know, 10 11,000 feet and there's cactuses and that was uh kind of the terrain w- that we were dealing with. I think as, as Matt mentioned, I don't think anybody thought we were going to get this done. Mm-hmm. And and w- we were not not going to get it done. We were sending all these people down there who spent years literally planning this, and we're about getting it done, right? We in the construction industry in general are about getting it done. We sent two scouts down to, you know, uncover things that might keep us from getting done so we could yeah. make those go away and get it done. So when they you know, laid a third of the pipe on day one, I think everybody in, in engineers in action included said, holy smokes, these guys are serious. Mm-hmm. And that's when the realization was, is the trenching was going to hold up the project. So now let's figure out how to make that go away. Yeah. Bill, Bill's message the whole time was we are going to pick a project we can finish in the time we were there. Um, and Dan and I, I don't know if you know this, Bill had a conversation before, before the team left. And we said, how do we, prep them to not be upset when they don't finish because <laughs> you can't finish a project down there. And, and they did. Yeah. It's awesome. Wow. So the pipe looked like what inch and a half, two inch pipe. Yeah. Uh, the, the top of the village was one inch and it was, it was actually split in two different legs. It went down two sides of the village. Mm. And then once we got to the lower part of the village, it changed to three quarter. Okay. Yeah. And then you had how many service connections? Uh, I think there were 46. Yeah. It was just falling apart. It was, the pipe was degrading and yeah, they didn't have the materials or personnel there to, to do it themselves. Um, I, no, I don't, I don't think they had really the expertise to do it. They yeah. definitely did not have the materials. Yeah. Um, they, um, yeah, the, 
the line was really under so much pressure um, and they had, they had no way to reduce the pressure because it was just a, it was just piped in, you know, 2000 feet up the hill. Just gravity or what? It was just gravity. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we put our system in, it was designed to have, you know, pressure uh, reducing valves. Um, There was, in fact, the last day we were there when we actually turned one, one of the legs on, um, I was at the very end connection. We had um, a pressure gauge on it and just to read where the pressure is because we knew we didn't want to overload it. And that was, you know, setting the the settings up on the um, relief valve and it was stuck. Oh. And all of a sudden I'm seeing, starting to see pressure. It was up to about 146 PSI and I'm like, I got to open this thing up and let it go. And boy, it just, it, just blew out like you wouldn't believe. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, there was some, you know, trying to get the thing running. We did have, uh, you know, some tweaks to make, but um, eventually we got our very last day, we got it chlorinated and uh, told them not to touch it for 12 hours. And mm-hmm. um, after that, the village had running water. That's cool. And you had to finish stuff up on the morning of, of your flight on the way oh, out? Yeah. <laughs> what were you finishing up? Um, the very last day we were, we wanted to chlorinate the line. Mm-hmm. Um, we just wanted to make sure it was completely ready. Uh, we, we walked it, checked it for leaks. Um, everything held during the night, which was great. Uh, the in fact, the, um, we were told that morning that the village was planning a celebration for us. And so that, <coughs> that last day, you know, we spent cleaning up getting the line chlorinated mm-hmm. and, um, well, you know, we're, we're at least kind of working. The village was preparing some sort of meal and celebration for us up on the basketball court. Yeah. Um, that I was showing you before. Yeah. And, uh, part of this village, you know, they, th- the things that they have there are, they have farm animals and they basically farm everything that they eat. Um, so it was corn, it was lima beans, lots of potatoes or fava beans. I think they call them, Mm -hmm. um, chickens running around everywhere. In fact, every (laughs) scoop of dirt you take, you know, there's a chicken behind you that's, you know, looking, (coughs) looking through it for for worms worms or, or whatever, any disturbed ground they were, they were all looking for something. So there's chickens everywhere. Um, pigs, cows, um, you know, stray dogs running around. Well, <laughs> our very last day, they throw this party for us. And who was the party for, Matt? It was for all of us. Was, it, was there a birthday? Possibly <laughs> there was. I, I I had a birthday the very that that actually day, and uh, the village did find out about that, so they threw me a little extra celebration. But, yeah. Um, no, they had a uh, um, all the the men came up. They had uh, played pan flutes and like sheepskin drums, um, you know, very kind of primitive uh, music. Mm. Um, and uh, one by one, the women plucked us out and had us dancing. And <laughs> I'll tell you what, deal. we were sore. Um, <laughs> from the dancing. These Bolivian <laughs> Not women. Not from the digging. <laughs> no. <laughs> the, the Bolivian women are... You know they're they're Careful. all very sh- they're very they're shorter, stout. but let's, let's they, go say stout. They, they are strong. 
they have grips like you would not believe and they would not let you go. And of course, <laughs> you know, me being six foot two, I get grabbed by the, you know, three foot eight woman and <laughs> would, you know, doing some circle dance and, um, yeah, they had us out there for, for an hour at least. That's awesome. Um, had this huge, huge meal for us that was chickens and there was not one chicken left in that village when we left. <laughs> they did. They butchered every chicken in that village for us. It sounds um, like a great time. It really was. It really was. What's the climate like where you went? Um, in terms of temperature? It was kind of funny. We were prepared for it's in when we went in May. Um, it's it's winter or the start of winter. Um, so we were told that the temperatures were going to be in the forties and getting down into the thirties, no snow. Mm -hmm. Um, they don't typically get snow there, but they do get temperatures into the thirties. So, you know, we all packed for cold weather and, you know, of course we pull into the village and the villagers are all dressed like we would dress in December. Mm -hmm. Um, yet it was 70 degrees. <laughs> so we were all like way, like over-prepared, over-packed. Yeah. Um, I brought one t-shirt, uh, everything else was long sleeves and I, you know, ended up cutting the sleeves off of a shirt. Um, uh, the sun was unbearable a couple of days, the very first day, you know, I didn't get a tramp stamp, uh, <laughs> sunburn. sunburn like you did, but the back of my neck was, uh, was all burned up after the first day. So I was wearing a hat and wearing an, you know, neck gaiter or a hoodie or something sure. most of the day. Cause you know, we're leaned over a hole, putting pipe in, right. um, pretty much all day long. It was definitely unexpected. I mean, the month, month before when we had two people out, they said, it's going to rain, it's going to be cold, get ready. Yeah. You know? So, right. Every day was really, it was beautiful. We had, you know, there'd be different things happen during the day. There'd be fog that would drop in off the, the face of that mountain. Mm -hmm. um, so we get fogged in. Um, it would be sunny. Uh, as soon as the sun went down, we we worked from sun up to sundown. Um, get up when it's dark, have breakfast. Mm. Um, pretty much getting light by the time we're done with breakfast. So we pretty much worked from, I would say, 7.15 to... 536 at night. Yeah. And you know, as soon as it start getting starts getting dark, it gets dark in a hurry and it gets cold very oh, fast. One of the coolest parts of that video was the still shots of the stars out there. Mm -hmm. we, I couldn't believe yeah, those shots. We took uh we got into the village on a Friday. Um on Monday, we decided to scale that mountain that's uh right there um that the village is on, mm -hmm. uh, that, that mountain is sacred to the villagers. Mm -hmm. Um, all their past elders, they actually make the trek up that, um, mountain. It's, it took us about two hours, two and a half hours to climb it. Uh, we, the, all the elders are buried up on that, um, up on that, uh, top of that mountain. And so we started, we got up about four o'clock in the morning and started that hike and you couldn't see anything in front of us. We're all wearing headlamps and, um, the, uh, out of the, out of the group, there was, uh, six of us or seven started six actually summited. Yeah. Um, but one, one kind of held back and could show us the way home, I think. Yeah. Um, but we got up to the top of that mountain, right. As the sun was started to rise and, um, yeah, it's the, the, 
terrain just beautiful the stars we could see you could see the milky way stars were so clear and brilliant um shooting star after shooting star just like amazing Hmm. um so it that was that was an experience that all of us are gonna take to our graves because it was really really a cool cool thing to uh to see just you know, being in that kind of altitude and, and it being that crisp and clear was really, really cool experience. Yeah. So guys, what, what has this meant to your company? Man. Well, for me, I want to, I want to answer that differently. Um, what it meant for me, Mm -hmm. um, it was a, it was a life changing experience. I have, uh, I've never done anything like this before. Um, you know, we've talked about it. My form of charity was writing a check. And, you know, when push comes to shove in these situations, it's like, you know, is a check really doing anything? In this situation for me, um, I've been with Shook almost 31 years. Mm-hmm. I've been in water, wastewater, doing construction for that entire time. And... You know, here I can give back a little bit with the little bit of water knowledge that I know. And um, so uh, for me, it's 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 a it's a trip that I will never forget. And in fact, it's um, I'm going to have my name in on the next one. I don't care what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Now, probably won't be going, but um, I, you know, I want to make sure that everybody in this company understands that. This is such an amazing, amazing opportunity that's been, you know, really put in your lap. And it, it can involve anybody. There's, you know, our secretaries or any, anybody can go. Mm-hmm. Anybody can go on this thing. And the company's opened it up to anybody and everybody. Um, what has it meant for the company? You know, like Bill started off and said, you know, this is the way we start changing the world. And got to start somewhere, and our first trip was to Bolivia. Yeah. What's your thoughts, Randy? I mean, what have you heard from the folks you've interacted with? Well, I, that's going to be my biggest question here this afternoon. Um, we're going to do a Q&A session with some of the members, and it's, it's going to be, we know when you came back how it changed you, but here we are six months later. How has it changed you now? Does it change, you know, do you, do you not flush the toilet as much? Do you brush your teeth without the water on? You know, what, what is it? What has it changed? Do, do you think about it? Um, and that's why a lot of times I like to do these trips continually. You know, it's, it's almost an addiction, but um, it also, everyone changes you differently and you don't know how. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eventually you get back to your life. It's, it's, it's natural, but um, just to continually do it. Um, but for the company, I think everybody just, they still talk about it. And they say, you know, wh- what's next? When's the next one? Where are we going? What are we doing? Um, and it's really cool to hear. Um, and when we first started, we said, hey, let's do it yearly. This will be great. And then we decided it's a lot of work. So <laughs> let's yeah. let's do every other year. Um, so we have a little, little time here. But um, I think that's part of what we're going to do today is kind of spark interest, you know. Yeah. Don't, don't forget about this. We're, this wasn't a one and done. We're going to continue to do this to – to make sure everybody in the company has a chance if they want, if they can, to uh, 
to make a difference. Yeah. And the way, the way we're going to do it is just what Randy said. We're sharing the experience with everybody in the company. So we're, we've been on a bit of a road show. We was in Raleigh a couple of days ago, Cleveland today. We'll go over to Indy and, and we did Dayton a week or so ago. But the idea is to truly share the experience with everybody in the company and then see what happens because I, I, I want to see the second trip percolate up. Right. I don't want it to be okay. It's on high, you know, anoint the next trip. That's, that's the exact opposite of what I want to see happen. And I'm confident that when we get the word out and we truly share the story with everybody in the company, there'll be a groundswell and there'll be somebody who wants to talk about us uh, going to East Africa and doing a school or somebody's going to have a clinic in Nicaragua and they've heard it through their church. That that's going to happen. I'm confident it's going to happen, but I want it. I want to wait and let it percolate up from, from below. And it's kind of exciting, you I, know, I've thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. Already. People, yeah. Cool. Right. And so the concept is to use 2020 to plan mm-hmm. the next trip and then execute it in 2021. And my guess is we're going to come up with two or three options mm-hmm. in 2020. We'll pick one. We'll research 2020. And then the folks that are on the 2023 execution will be, you know, doing theirs in 2022, 20, right. you know, planning. And yeah. so we'll be a little out ahead of it. And and my guess is, is over the next four or five, six years, we'll just create a, a culture within a culture that uh, is passionate about doing this forever. I don't hear any hesitation in your voice. No, it's yeah. happening. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. The cool thing, too, is uh, a lot of my past experiences with Engineers Without Borders, and what they do is they actually adopt a city for five years or more. Their plan is you come in, you do water first, then you build a clinic, then you build a school. Well, those are exactly what we do as a company already. So that's kind of our model that we want to follow. Maybe, maybe Tamuzi, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Um, we may f- find somewhere else, but we want to go with our other market channels and right. make sure that, you know, this was a water trip, but we didn't send only water people. But there were definitely some hesitation people saying, oh, I'll wait for the healthcare one because it relates more to me. So we want to make sure we, we have that opportunity for everybody. Sure. Well, awesome. Thanks for coming in and talking about it. Anything else you want to add? No, thanks for the opportunity to share. And And I would just say to my peers – if, if you want to sit down and talk about this, learn more about it one-on-one with the people that were involved, you know, uh, you got our name, you got our number, give me a call, be happy to share it with you. Cause it's more of the merrier, really. I'll and talk about it forever. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Did we miss anything, Adrian? No, we're all good. All right. Thanks guys. Appreciate it. Thanks Tim. Thanks Tim. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.